good to see everyone here this morning. I want to remind us of some things that we really need to be reminded of often. You know, each day we face challenges. And that challenge, the biggest challenge that we face is, will we overcome the world's influences? I guess I better turn this on, it might be a little easier to... There we go. Is the world, as we come in contact with the worldly influences, will we overcome them or will we be overcome by them? You know, what we see in our society is uh, people becoming less and less spiritually minded. And more and more, they're accepting worldly philosophies, their practices, and their attitudes. You know, as Christians, we need to be mindful of everything we do. Because the evil influences can put our spiritual well-being in jeopardy. As we come in contact with evil, we're challenged on a daily basis. And it's easy to become desensitized to the point that uh, sin doesn't bother us anymore. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In the not too recent past, I mean, it's in the recent past, I guess you'd say, many of the world would take a stand with God, calling homosexuality what God called it, a sin. But today, those same people, or many of those same people, that once stood with God, calling it a sin, have now bought into Satan's lie and embrace and defend that practice uh, as a lifestyle. They will tell us that every person has the right to choose the lifestyle they want to live. And that everybody else should get on board and support it. In general, people's thinking has become warped. And I think that's due to the fact that we've been bombarded by the world's philosophies. They tell us if we're a good Christian, that we will be loving and tolerant of a person's life choices regardless of what they may be. You know, it's evident that the promotion of this idea has been successful, for many have bought into that idea. However, the Bible teaches a concept that most of the world doesn't understand, that of loving the sinner and hating the sin, rather than being tolerant of the sin. In Jude, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, and on some have compassion, making the distinction, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. These verses teach us to have compassion on the sinner. Enough compassion to do what we can to pull them out of the fire and save their souls from eternal destruction. Do what we can to make a difference. Yet all the while hating the sin they're involved in. I want to read a passage in 
Hosea, the seventh chapter, to try to introduce our thoughts this morning. He says, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. The prophet makes the comparison to Ephraim to that of a cake unturned. And this was due to the fact that they had adopted uh, the ways and the thinking and the attitudes of the people around them. And they were influenced by what was going on. So they were uh, cooked on one side and raw on the other side. You know, we understand that a pancake, we put that on the griddle and we cook it on one side, but if we don't turn it over and cook it on the other side and cook it thoroughly, it's not edible. It's of no value. And Israel had become just like that pancake. They were not, uh, they had mixed themselves with the nations. They had adopted their ways. And they were of no value to God. They were cooked when it came to their relationship with the heathen nations. But they were uncooked in their relationship with God. Now, not all the people were out-and-out followers of Baal, but their commitment to God was half-hearted. There was evil, the evil of the nations around them that they had adopted, mixed in with what little good was left in them. They were not totally for God, nor were they totally against God, but they were a far cry from loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. You know, Jesus addressed the same situation in Revelations 3, verse 14 and 15 to the church at Laodicea. And he says, I know your works, that you're uh, not cold or hot. You're neither cold nor hot. And he says, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Due to the close involvement with the nations around them, Israel gradually began to adopt their ways, their way of thinking, their practices, and their attitudes. In Ephesians 5, beginning with verse number 3, the Apostle Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You know, notice what he said. He said, these sins, this impurity, is not to be even mentioned as people that are uh, professing to be saints. He said, don't let man deceive you with empty words. This is just exactly what we talked about a little bit ago. That people will say, if we're a good Christian, we need to be loving and tolerant of these sins. But Paul says, don't be deceived by these words. Because 
the wrath of God is going to fall on those that practice these things. And the sad fact is we're seeing more and more of these sins showing up among professed believers. People are slowly being drawn into the world, what the world puts before them. And much of this is due to the amount of time that's spent with friends and associates in the world. Those that they have chosen to be their close friends. The Apostle Paul says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he asks a simple question. What, does, uh, uh, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Be not deceived, evil company corrupts good, manner, uh, good habits. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, verse 1, he tells us that we need to lay aside uh, everything that weighs us down and the sin that entangles us And run with endurance the race that's set before us. And with this in mind, it's probably advisable to avoid close fellowship with the world. And I'm going to tell you, it's not because that we're too good for them. But it's perhaps we may not be strong enough to resist the temptations that we may encounter by these close relationships. The Bible teaches we must live among the ungodly. We cannot live in isolation. We're, the Bible also teaches we're not to adopt an attitude of disdain toward them. We still got to keep in mind that we need to seek the lost. But we're told not to be partakers of their sins. In Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible teaches that our thinking must be different from the world. We are, like I said before, we are to go out into the world and seek the lost. Yet we must realize that not everyone we encounter will be a safe friend. We must continually be on our guard. You know, it's interesting to me that there are some people that will give up nearly anything that's good. Their spouse, their children, the church, to pursue something some pleasure or something that they think will make them happy. They'll give it all up. But when called upon to give up worldly association so they, to follow God, they think that's an unreasonable sacrifice. As people uh, form close uh, friendships with the world, we probably will see a progressive departure uh, from God. And I want to discuss three aspects of this progression. Number one, adopting worldly thinking. Number two, adopting worldly ways. And number three, adopting worldly attitudes. In Psalm 1 and verse 1, 
David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I believe David shows this progression by his analogy of a man that walks, stands, and sits. As we walk through the world, we will be affected by its philosophies, but not like we will if we spend a lot, expose ourselves a, a lot more or spend a lot more time in the world with worldly friends. And then it's going to affect us even more. Our David points out that we stand uh, in the path of sinners. But the ultimate departure is when our primary uh, time, when our time primarily is spent with those of the world. And when this happens, when our associates and our friends are strictly from the world, what we have done is pulled up a chair and sat down with him. Number one, David said, happy is the man that does not accept the world's advice. He said, the godly man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, the idea here is that a godly person does not ex adopt a pattern of thinking uh, like the, uh, the world, nor do they actively seek their advice. The, ungodly, uh, the godly does not think the professionals of this world, or so-called professionals of this world, has a better way of doing things than God when it comes to every aspect of our life. Raising children, working on our relationships and keeping them together, working to improve those relationships, working with our fellow man in our businesses. Basically what he's saying, that a godly man will not accept the counsel that is against what God's word says. In Isaiah 30, verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who desires plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, to trust in the shadow of Egypt, Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and the trust in the uh, shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. He says they walk to go down to Egypt. The idea here is that they have spent a great deal of time seeking out these so, uh, worldly uh, associations, their advice whenever they could make it easy on themselves by just simply asking God's counsel. But he said that this rebellion was going to be their downfall. The prophet Amos posed an interesting question. In Amos 3, verse 3, he says, Can two walk together except they agree? The truth is we spend more time with those with whom we agree and a lot less time with those 
with whom we disagree. If we honestly examine ourselves and it reveals that we're more readily accepting the worldly way of thinking and their philosophies and the things that they embrace rather than what God has taught, perhaps departure has started. Uh, the departure from God has begun. Number two, David said, blessed is the man, or happy is the man that does not adopt their ways or doesn't stand in the path of sinners or stand with the sinners. And this, the idea here is they don't identify with the ungodly. They don't stand with, they don't endorse, they don't live by the same set of standards, nor do they take on the traits of those. And the sad truth is there are many, many people that want to do the right thing. But because of the peer pressure, young and old, we all have peer pressure. And because of that peer pressure, they are, they're left, that keeps them standing with the world. And this is exactly what happened in Jesus' time with the chief rulers. In John, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse number 42, the Bible says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. And because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I'll turn your attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible said Jehoshaphat had riches and honors in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. And after some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in war. Close association with the world can have far-reaching consequences. And I'm going to use something that I've used before, but this is one of my favorite illustrations to explain what I'm talking about. Several chapters prior to this reading, we read of a man named Asa, which was Jehoshaphat's father. And the Bible said he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. However, his son Jehoshaphat was a man of compromise, as we just read. He formed alliances with God's enemies. And he had an attitude of, can't we just all get along? There's a lot of that going on today, folks. People just say, well, we, can't we just all get along? No matter what, the, what people are doing, what they're thinking, what they're practicing. Anyway, he formed alliances with the enemies of God. And his son, Jehoram, he married uh, Ahab's daughter. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 21, verse 6, And he, speaking of Jehoram, 
walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now I'm sure Jehoshaphat never thought that making this alliance would have devastating uh, results or adverse uh, things happen to him or his family. But the Bible says it did. Jehoshaphat failed to identify the worldly influences of the people around them and how it was going to affect them, him or in his family, and take measures to protect him and his family. In a matter of three generations, the Bible says he went from a grandfather that done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, to a son that was not quite as dedicated as him. He wanted to hold on to God and these evil associations at the same time. And then it says that his son, Jehoram, he was exposed to this evil. Not only was he exposed to the evil, but he married into the evil. And the Bible says he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. We see the progressive departure by the, the way these, these people started getting lax. The scripture warns us over and over of forming close relationships. Uh, with those of the world. Solomon said in Proverbs 1 verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Consent not. Proverbs 3 verse 31, he said, Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Do we find it more difficult as days go by to make a distinction between the, between the way we live our lives and the way the world lives theirs. The biblical question is, can two walk together except they agree? Number three, David said, happy is the man that does not adopt their attitude or does not sit with a scorner. In Psalms 141 verse four, the psalmist said, do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. The psalmist described a righteous man as one that did not sit in the seat of the scornful. And one, uh, he also said, let me not eat of their delicacies. I believe it was Mark Dunnigan that described this as fearing spending much time with the ungodly lest he should eat of, laugh at, admire, approve, and justify such things as pleases them. In other words, adopting their attitudes. And I want to take just a minute to talk about something very specific that has a great deal of influence on each one of us. And that is the television and movies that, we are, that are available for our so-called entertainment. Too often these shows 
uh, are really not entertainment. They're nothing but promotions of sinful behavior. As we subject ourselves to them over and over, the human tendency is to become desensitized to the point that these sins don't bother us anymore. Satan uses this tool to appeal to our desire for entertainment. But actually what happens over a period of time, it changes our attitudes. And we become partakers of their delicacies. Maybe not in deed, but in acceptance and tolerance. In Romans 1 verse uh, 29 through 32, the Apostle Paul says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice these things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those that practice them. Paul says there are people that commit these sins. And some even enjoy or take pleasure in those that practice them. And I believe that this is where we need to exercise a great deal of caution. Do we find ourselves taking pleasure in watching shows that portray people engaged in ungodly behavior? Attitudes control every aspect of our life. And when we have adopted the world's attitudes, departure of, from God is complete. And we have pulled up a chair and sat down with them. Jesus told the, his disciples, pray that you do, do not uh, enter into temptation. C.S. Lewis made this statement, lead us not into temptation often means, among other things, Deny me those highly interesting contacts, that participation in the brilliant movements of our age, which I so often at such risk desire. Mr. Lewis, what he was saying was that if we truly want to be, uh, to keep from being led into temptation, that we're probably going to need to deny ourselves spending a great deal of time with worldly friends. Those that are considered the in crowd. Those that are totally committed to worldly agendas. Always seeking involvement in anything pleasurable. And Mr. Lewis says it's risky. But being the humans that we are, we desire these involvements and friendships. The fact is, the more time that we spend with worldly associations the greater the chances are we will be subjected to the temptations. Temptations we may uh, deem harmless, but they may have devastating future results. Satan knows us all too well. And he knows that, that we like to be accepted by our peers. And he uses these tendencies to gently draw us away from God. 
Satan's work is ever so subtle. He uses others to plant seeds of doubt uh, in God's ways and plant seeds of, why don't we just do this? Why don't we get involved in this? It won't hurt anything. He even uses our amusements to distract us from working for God or maybe even thinking about Him. We have to be cautious about our friendships and with, the, with these thoughts in mind. We need to ask ourselves, do my pastimes and my friends, do they draw me closer to God or do they drive me further away? In Jeremiah 2 verse 25, reading from the ESV, it says, keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners, and after them I will go. To desire to be with the ungodly is to make a a distinct uh, choice against God. In 1 John, the second chapter, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. I want to refer back to our earlier reading in Hosea, the seventh chapter. And I want to read verses eight and nine. He said, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. The spiritual vitality of that nation was being sapped by by the wicked association that they were uh, involved in. And the people didn't even realize it. They had formed relationships and adopted practices of these heathen nations. Along with their compromises, their toleration of sin, and the relaxing of their moral standards, all these alliances were making uh, the nation prematurely old. And Israel was blind to the fact that they were dying. He uses the analogy of gray hairs here and there to show how they were being gradually affected to the exposure of the ungodly ways. You know, as gray hair comes on us gradually, we may not feel like that we're changing because it comes on gradually. And the only way that we're going to know it's happening is when we look in the mirror and it's evident that we're aging. Increased exposure to Satan's worldly influences can slowly overtake us. And the only way that we can know what's happening is to look into the mirror of God's Word. If we find that we have a mixture of good and evil in our lives, if we find that we are embracing the world's way of thinking, their practices, their attitudes, we are dying spiritually. We cannot live for 
God sometimes and for the devil the rest of the time. We cannot have it both ways. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. We tend to think that we can handle these uh, uh, evil associations and it won't bother us. We come out of it unscathed. But Solomon said in Proverbs 6 verse 27, he asked this question. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on coals and his feet not be seared? We know that that's absurd. We know that that would burn our clothes. Yet we think that we can handle these close associations uh, with the world and it won't bother us. I've probably used this parallel before, but I want to use it again. It's like when uh, Vicky in my house burned a few years back. And we'd walked through the rubble of it, trying to salvage some things from it. And each time we did, the ashes would get on our clothes and the smell. And when we left, it went with us. It attached itself to us when we walked through that rubble. And the same is true when we walk through the rubble of the world. It will attach itself to us. And without giving attention to the removal of it, our spiritual well-being will be affected. You know, Vicky had to clean our clothes. And it took quite a bit to get, them, get that smell out of them. And it's going to take diligence for us to keep ourselves uh, cleaned up when we are uh, being around world, the, uh, the world on a daily basis and being bombarded with this evil. Folks, you can't get away from it. It's in your face everywhere you turn. But we have to be mindful of it. In Revelation 18, verse 4, the Apostle John said, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. It will take a conscious effort to avoid worldly influences. Our prayer life, spending time in God's Word, having Christian fellowship, will prove to be helpful tools in battling worldliness. It seems we forget that God wants the best for us. That's why he tells us to do these things. Because he wants what's best for us. God warned Israel not to intermarry with the, the heathen nations. And it, why did he do that? It wasn't to keep them from being happy. But he knew that the evil influences that, that they would uh, be exposed to would lure them away from him. And he was warning them to stay away from that. When Israel and Judah failed to listen to God, that's exactly what happened to them. And it can happen to each of us today. God's plea yesterday and his plea today is that we make our friendships and close association with those of God's people. The apostles tells us to take on the mind of Christ. 
If we stay carnally minded, we're going to reap death. But folks, spiritually, being spiritually minded, will reap life everlasting. We need to separate ourselves as much as we can from evil influences. I wasn't ready for that one. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, he said, Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Solomon said in Proverbs, well, Solomon said in Proverbs 4, verse 4 through 14, he says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Avoid it. Number three, do not travel on it. And number four, turn away from it and pass on. Now, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I want to ask you this morning, has the world weighed you down? Are you dragging a lot of baggage around with you? You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He makes, he gives us a way to get rid of that baggage. He gives us a way to clear our conscience and have a fresh start. God gives us a way to make our life easier. All we have to do is just accept him and do what he says. The blood of Christ is powerful and it will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It will cleanse us and give us a fresh start. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you have not obeyed the gospel, now's the time to do that. As Ananias told Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins and call on the name of the Lord. This morning, if there's one that has a a need of spiritual healing, Jesus can do that for you. And his invitation is to everyone. No one is left out. He said, come unto me and I will give you rest. If there's one in the audience that has the desire to be obedient to the gospel or needs the prayers of the church, we'll be glad to pray with and for you. If you would, come and make your desires known as we stand and sing.